7.04 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Driving in this morning in my 2023 MDX. I was talking about it at the break. You left. Didn't even hang around to hear what I had to say. I want to get a coffee. Um, it's snowing again. Mm-hmm. Or it was this morning. Yep. Um, and I would have responded to that by like... Yeah, it, it is. I drove in too. I'm over it. Mm. You're, oh, you're over the I'm snow. I'm over the snow. It's lousy, March. Lousy March weather. It's, it's 19 it's days now. until spring. Why yeah. are we still getting this? I know. We live in Vancouver for a reason. I moved here for for that reason. Has, has no one heard this saying before in in like a, or in like a lion out like a lamb about March? I've heard it about no. March. Yeah, that's how uh, March. Maybe once. I didn't know it was like about my March. My grandpa might have said it to me. <laughs> <laughs> in like a lion, Andy, out like a lamb. <laughs> Was he from Ireland? <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> Same neighborhood as Liam O'Brien, oh, apparently. Oh, yeah, knew oh, oh your, your, your great-grandfather was a leprechaun. <laughs> yes, yes. Interesting. Explains yes. a lot. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. I feel like you did not finish your uh, uh, Delari read. I did, but oh. we're in hour two. <laughs> No, it's okay. I, we got to mention that Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Okay. We're going to kick off Hour 2 by recapping everything that went on but didn't actually happen yesterday <laughs> as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. There is so much smoke around this. And you can't just blame the collective media. You people out there, you people that say this is just a fabricated media creation, that it's all smoke, no fire, all substance, or sorry, no substance, all style. It's not. There's too many people reporting too many things that leads you to suggest that there's something happening here. We're just not smart enough to figure it out. But we can explain it to you as best we can. So, yesterday... Uh, there's multiple people on Twitter, Sheena Goldman of The Athletic, Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, putting things out there that sources across the league are suggesting something is up between the Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins, the two principal parties involved. Now, what do we know about these two parties? Well, we know that the Vancouver Canucks are in a bad way, standings-wise, have already traded their captain, Bo Horvat. Uh, their emotional leader, Luke Shen. They're bringing trade, making trades to bring young guys in. They've talked about major surgery. Pittsburgh, conversely, sure looks as though they are lining things up to bring in somebody of significance. They waived Kasperi Kapanen, who got plucked by the Blues. Mark Friedman, no relation to Elliot. And Brock McGinn, his older brother used to play hockey. Three forwards, all guys that were playing regularly, placed on waivers. And if everything fell correctly, a few people, including Cap Friendly, pointed out that the Penguins would have about $5.25 million in available cap space. Gee, that's interesting. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing. Sat put out, a, and I'm just going to call all these reports just to make it easier. They're all on Twitter. Sat threw out there that he doesn't believe, based on what he's hearing, that it's JT Miller. Mm-hmm. But then Rob Rossi, from the Pittsburgh side of things, of the athletic put out there that 
according to his sources, they don't believe that it's Brock Besser. And I'm like, oh, it can't not be either of them, right? Thatcher Demko. Right. Nah, it's got to be it. I don't, I don't think so. I think but so. I, you know what? I'm not wi- really, I'm not willing to rule out anything at this point. All we know is that there are some very interesting conversations happening as we get closer to Friday's deadline, and those two particular parties, the Canucks and the Penguins, have all the incentive in the world to get together and try and make some sort of deal because both have things that they want and need. Mm-hmm. And this all really started or went into overdrive with the report in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette yesterday. And this is the first paragraph of this report. The Penguins and the Vancouver Canucks recently engaged in trade discussion centered on J.T. Miller. Centered on J.T. Miller. The standout Canucks forward who tallied 99 points last season. Two league sources told the Post-Gazette. Two! Two! And we mentioned that on the show yesterday. He that even, even he, like, he got it from one source, and then he did that journalism thing where he checked with someone else. Not even and that fake source news. confirmed it. Yeah, that's not fake news, folks. That's how journalism works, or so um, I've been told. So we'll, we'll see what happens with with all this. Uh, it's worth I, noting I, Rob Rossi as well as like one of the most, if not the most, connected Penguins reporter. Yeah. Like, so the fact that he's reporting on it as well, like, obviously, there's something there. It's not cool. just a bunch of speculation. Uh, all these guys are, are are they 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 chat regularly with the the leaders on the team, yeah. the executives. They chat with people like they they just see each other every day. They, they this is Rob Rossi does, is a very good uh, reporter uh, on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, again, it's not clear if it's Miller or or Besser that's more likely headed to Pittsburgh. It could be neither of them ends up going there. It could be that. They can't make something work. It could be that Pittsburgh goes and gets Jacob Chikrin instead. Well, because also, apparently, well, I because just want to jump in, though, is it could also be Connor Garland. That's another viable option in this whole thing. Sure. Um, apparently, Mike Sullivan, uh, the head coach of the Penguins, has been pushing for Chikrin. Um, there is a lot of talk out there that the Canucks want to do something significant at this trade deadline. It is an opportunity. It is they'll have more opportunities in the off season to reshape the team. But this is one of the opportunities. This is one of the pressure points where you can make a good deal. You can also make a bad deal, but you can also make a good deal by, in the Canucks' case, um, helping out or being a good partner for a team that is in a position where they need to win now. And the Pittsburgh Penguins are in that position where they need to win now. And we talked about in the in uh, earlier in the show, like I don't think JT Miller on his contract makes a whole lot of sense for the Vancouver Canucks. I get that he's a good player, but I don't think his contract is, is going to age very well. And by the time the Canucks are hopefully in their Stanley Cup window, and hopefully that's in three or four years, fingers crossed, I don't know if that contract is going to look very good on the Canucks. I think in Pittsburgh, it would make a ton of sense for JT Miller to be on the Pittsburgh Penguins because right now they are in their window and they will be for the next two or three years. And after that, I think the Penguins are going to have to really rebuild that organization. Mm -hmm. But I do think amidst all of this, we need to discuss the ramifications of Miller's name being out there. And it is very much out there. 
And it's not just speculation. I just read the actual report from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette where the Penguins and the Canucks had trade discussions centered on JT Miller. And there was no discussion of the Penguins calling the Canucks and saying, what about JT Miller? And the Canucks saying, absolutely not. Okay, so in light of this, a question for you, Jason. How do you think the relationship between JT Miller and the Canucks will be impacted or maybe already has been impacted? (laughs) Why did you say it like that? (laughs) Because his name's out there, he signed he signed a gigantic extension less than a, less than twelve months ago. Mm-hmm. That extension also included a very emotional press conference in which he was eternally grateful to this organization for giving him the kind of money and security that he was given. Yeah, and the organization returned Sir Volley by saying, "We expect JT to be a member of this team." For years to come. That was in the press release. I'm not making that up. This isn't fake news. The Canucks said it themselves. Go check it out. You can find the press release. Yeah. This was supposed to be a foundational, long-term, pouring the concrete in the basement move where you knew that he was going to be a member of this team for a long time to come. So it's fine. It's absolutely fine if you decide that uh, you want to flip him. It's a business. I get it. Hey, JT Miller signed an extension in Tampa Bay, and they traded him less than a year removed from it as well. The big difference is it reeks of maybe not necessarily having a plan yeah, or maybe saying that big, important foundational decision we made was wrong. Uh, and that's, uh, a, that's a very interesting dynamic if that's the case. And listen, I, I'm all for admitting mistakes and trying to correct those mistakes. The worst thing you can do when you make a mistake is to double down on that mistake or be stubborn about the mistake. If indeed that's the way the Canucks feel about Miller now, that it was a mistake, right? If, if, if. That's a pretty big if. But I'm also for discussing why mistakes are made in the first place. So as to avoid them in the future. Right, because we don't make any on this show. I don't even know what it's like to make a mistake. (laughs) I don't know if that's a big if, though. I mean, the fact that they're discussing moving Miller, I think they realized it was a mistake. I don't Uh, think it screwed up. I don't think it's like, "Eh, maybe we made it. I think they're like, no, this was a bad call. it It could also be, and I'm just playing devil's advocate. I mostly agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here where they just feel they're in a position where they have to listen on pretty much anything. Sure. Because sure. Patrick Alvin would you know, float that line out these guys like we're twenty seventh in the league or twenty sixth in the league, so we can't really afford to not listen on anything. And that is something that they could sell JT Miller if there's an issue with the relationship. Like, listen, JT, uh, I don't know if you were here, right, for this season. It yeah. didn't go well, right? Like, like it didn't go well. We well, had, it doesn't we hurt to be like, hey, do you want to play with uh, Vigeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby? Yeah. Right. You, maybe win a cup? Line. Yeah, you know the defenseman that we've got, right? You don't want to hit your wagon to this. That, but, could, that could be the move. But I, I will say if the Canucks have indeed made Miller available, not necessarily shopping him, but made him available, like bring us an offer and, and we'll talk about it. That is one heck of a course correction for a very new management group to make. Yep. And if Miller is ultimately traded, either at the, the deadline or this offseason, and the return is underwhelming, or even if the Canucks have to retain salary on the transaction, like when the, for me, this actually has quite similar, um, a similar feel to the Phil Kessel trade from Toronto. Uh, I, I realize that Phil Kessel and JT Miller are very different personalities, but they are both personalities that some people wondered about whether or not they were good personalities to have on a team, mm-hmm. right? 
the Leafs had recently extended Phil Kessel. And then they realized, like, ah, this team needs to be, like, this team needs, well, major surgery. Sure. So they traded away Phil Kessel to a team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, in win-now win, win mode. And I think you can argue that that trade worked out for both teams. Like, Kessel helped put the Penguins over over the, the hump. Um, and Jim Rutherford, who was the general manager at the time, realized that Sid and Gino need more help. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a very good goal scorer who may not have been ideal as the leader of the team, right, in Toronto. Yeah. And to build around him and also Dion Phaneuf. And he could go to a place where um, there was all, all, already a leadership group in place and he could just be a goal scorer and he could just be a good player. Mm-hmm. You could. It's not. It's not a perfect matchup, obviously, in terms of the comparisons between Kessel and Miller, but it's it's similar. Um, again, if the return for Miller is is underwhelming, there are going to be some pretty sharp questions for management, given the season the Canucks have just put forth. I think there are going to be some sharp questions, regardless, <laughs> at the end of at the end of season press conference. Um, about JT Miller and the fact that there are these reports out there, even if Miller isn't traded, like what about these reports? What about the fact that, you know, you had some credible reports out there that this guy that you signed to a contract extension, not a year ago, you've made him available Mm -hmm. in, in, in trade talks. What is going on? What is the plan? How has the plan changed? How do you see this team? What are you guys doing? Yeah, I, I understand all that. The di- the most difficult thing, and to be honest, I think it's what collectively uh, a station so thoroughly dedicated to one team, by that I'm talking about Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks, is when you start going too far down the road of hypotheticals, you almost lose the original point that you're trying to make. So it's like, what if they trade JT Miller and what if... The return is underwhelming. We're talking about two gigantic hypotheticals, neither of which could come to fruition. But you have to allow yourself to think in these terms because everything they're doing right now is about the future. Nothing they're doing right now is about the present. We want to make that abundantly clear. The present right now, the only goal is for talk it to teach these guys to protect the guts of the ice and instill the disciplinary things that he wants. Outside of that, Wins, losses, shootouts, losses, overtime losses, they don't matter. They don't. The standings, you can only go so far as an organization to try and crater to the bottom. And like we saw in Dallas last night or two nights ago, so oftentimes it's completely out of your hands. You could ice a lineup that has virtually no chance of winning a game. Yet somehow, Kuzmenko's scoring in overtime to help you beat the number one team in the Western Conference. Like, that's hockey. So... Everything is about the future, which is why you go down the road of these hypotheticals. I'll throw out another one. I think that in the most optimistic world, where it's all sunshine and roses and Pollyanna leads the way, that they might have stumbled upon a scenario that actually kind of works. Because of all the teams, all the teams in the NHL, the one place that Miller might be more than okay with going is Pittsburgh because he's from the area. It's closer to home than he could ever be. And he'd be going there with this massive extension, which kind of locks him in. Well, you'd think every time the guy signs an extension, it feels like he's either (laughs) traded right away or like in, in trade talks. Right. Hey, I want to read a text in the Dunbar lumber text line and just give me some time here. Is it a long one? Uh, no, but just give me some time. Uh, here's a text. 
The hate is real for Miller, eh? You guys just want to drive him to the airport and run him out of town. No. You got it 100% wrong. The hate is not real for JT Miller. He is a very good player. Here's where the hate is real. The hate is real for losing season after losing season. The hate is real for inefficient contracts that age badly which we've seen in spades in Vancouver, which they have a bunch of right now. The hate is real for no cap flexibility. The hate is real for a prospect system that still needs to be restocked. The hate is real for a blue line that badly needs to be reshaped. That is where the hate is. The hate is real for looking at a team the way it's constructed right now and not seeing a path to a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. And I think it's important to reiterate to everyone the, the, the fundamental ethos of the Halford and Bruff show since we started day one way back on the current blog. Maybe some people don't know. Uh, we don't carry personal vendettas or grudges against anyone. If If you thought that JT Miller was going to be a fundamental piece of a Stanley Cup championship caliber or contending team in Vancouver, you'd be his biggest fan. You'd be singing his name from the Raptors and you'd have a number nine Miller jersey. But you just don't see it that way because you, your goal, and I mean mine, our goal collectively, is to be able to cheer for a team that can win a cup. That's it. That was always been the that's always been the, the core driving principle of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. All the other like sad club and you know, Bruff occasionally going off his rocker with frustration and leaning into absurdism. That didn't last very long, but it's always been about that. So if you don't see that, you're not going to talk yourself into it just because the guy's here, right? And it, you know what? JT Miller's name could be TJ Miller or TJ Smith or whatever. It's, that's, that's what the point you're trying to get across. It's not about the guy. It's about building a cup winner and uh, appreciating how hard it is to build a cup winner and how you have to marshal all your assets and focus zero in on not only the right assets, but the right timing so, to build a Stanley Cup winner in a 32-team league. So I, I, I get it. I get the – and I understand, actually, like the, the people that push back and have this thought in their heads. And it's because they're equally frustrated. They're just looking at it in an entirely different lens. And they're saying – Miller was a 99-point guy last year, and he's a point-of-game guy this year, and he's a good player, and that's fine. But allow yourself to understand that there are multiple ways of looking at this, and we're not here to tell you who's right and wrong, even though we're right. We're just here to tell you uh, where we're, and especially in Jason's case, where he's coming from. And hate or love JT Miller. I actually really like him as a player. I really, I actually like his personality. Yeah. If you want to get super existential about it, like we're, we're cheering for laundry. That's the old saying, right? Yeah. It's, it's whoever fills the laundry, as long as those are the guys that are going to help get to the promised land. That's great, right? There's been teams that have had high character guys and low character guys, guys that are really passionate and guys that are stoic. All of this is just kind of leading back to the one thing. The current situation with his contract, the way that they signed it, the time that they signed it, the amount that they signed it for, I, neither of us think that it's going to play out well in the long term. That's it. No one's trying to drive the guy to the airport. 
Uh, especially today because the weather's like heinous. I don't even like driving people to the airport. <laughs> Take an Uber. Yeah, honestly, you make a lot of money, JT. Did you Miller. see that? <laughs> did you see that discourse on Twitter yesterday? No, it was. Did you see that? I tried to it stay was, off Twitter. Uh, it was someone had one of those like online think pieces oh, talking about how uh, either asking or requesting someone drive you to or from the airport I is saw that. It's like a friendship breaker. Oh a yeah, breaker? yeah, yeah. Don't ask your adult friends Why? to drive you home. Why? Because the internet's stupid. It's inconsiderate. To ask You're making them take time out of their day to go. It's, get them it's, it's the very airport. much going down the road of like everyone's oversensitive, right? Like I drive that person to the airport. Yeah, never take. Why do you have yeah. friends then? If that's if you can't use them for stuff like people, that. I mean, the argument was you're an adult, get an Uber. Don't make someone go way out of their way. The counter argument is that's what friends are for. No, yeah, that's, that's what, what that's what the Dion Warwick song was all about. That's Sorry, right. To put, go to back to Bruff's speech, Alex. I just love this text. That was Bruff's "We shall fight on the beaches" speech. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty good. Yes, right. That's why I said. I, that's why I said. I, I, I want to think about. It. I want to take this slowly. I didn't want Halford mooing away during the speech. I knew it was going to be a speech. Uh, someone, someone said, "Wow, Bruff just went Edgar Allan Poe on the hate is real." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you, you know what? There's a bunch of different ways we can frame it, but it always comes back to like one fundamental issue. We've been true to our core since day one. Yeah. The, we just uh, want to see a cop. The, the styles have changed a little bit. Now we're on the radio. We used to do just print stuff, but that's it. That's I, mean, I can't explain it any further than that. We're not complex people. We're really not. Right? right? That's fair to say. This isn't like a very in-depth, thought-provoking. No. It just... Just win, uh, just win a Stanley Cup. Seems like it's fun. Other teams have done it, right? <laughs> seems like a fun summer. It seems like it's a good time. Yeah, you get yeah, to party yeah. and drink and do party. everything. Yeah, all things I like. So, uh, Mark Lazarus is going to join us from The Athletic in Chicago to talk about the Patrick Kane trade and what it means for the Blackhawks organization going forward. I might ask, uh, also ask uh, Laz about uh, Jonathan Quick being traded from the LA Kings because the Kings and the Blackhawks had such a good rivalry. Uh, for so many years in the Western Conference. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And here's Patrick Kane with two seconds in OT. Kane scores! on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago is going to join us in just a sec to talk about a very profound and pivotal day in franchise history yesterday. That's an hour two highlight. We're in the middle of hour two. Hour two of the Halford and Bruff show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Join now, as mentioned, Mark Lazarus, senior writer, Chicago Athletic, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? We're good. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to start this by saying I I was following along on Twitter yesterday, and I saw that you were getting all kinds of 
classic internet vitriol that we've come to know and love from doing this job. So I want to be the one to say that uh, when, in, in a time where people are dumping on journalists and journalism's, journalism constantly, uh, what you guys did yesterday covering a very profound moment in franchise history was top drawer, like top shelf. Like I encourage people to go and read the volume of content that you guys put out, the quality of it. Uh, it was very well done. I imagine it must have been a busy day, but a rewarding one in a certain sense, even after all the crap that you had to take. Oh, well, first of all, thanks. It's very nice of you to say all that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not, not like it caught us off guard. Like sometimes these things happen and you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, we had been preparing for this for a while. You know, I had a column that I wrote a couple of days ago, but when it happened, then Scott and I had been doing our reporting all week on how it was going down. So we'd be able to kind of put it all in context and provide the backstory, you know, and uh, we had the initial news hit and we had, you know, uh, John Greenberg wrote a column. We got Arthur Staple in New York. Uh, obviously, we kind of attacked it from all sides because, yeah, I mean, it's you know as inevitable as it was to see like a Photoshop of Patrick Kane in a blue jersey was so jarring that it's still, you know, even when you knew this was coming, even though we knew this was coming for months, it's still kind of shocking when it actually happens. So the the graph, I'll just read it. This is what you wrote yesterday. Three Stanley Cups, a Conn Smythe, the Hart Trophy, a Calder Trophy, two 100-point seasons, two 40-goal seasons. Don't forget the Stanley Cup winning overtime goal. Western Conference Finals, sending him to the Stanley Cup winning overtime goal. Then you said the best American-born player the game has ever seen and the greatest Blackhawk of them all. You're, of course, talking about Patrick Kane. Those are the accolades. You also had to touch on the more controversial questionable parts of his career as well. So how difficult was it to encapsulate everything that Kane was in one piece? Well, it's, it's tough, right? Cause he was so many different things. I mean, he was, you know, he's, he's Chicago's most beloved and famous athlete since Michael Jordan. You know, he is the closest comp that this city's had to Michael Jordan since Jordan. I'm not saying he is Jordan, but he was, you know, approaching that level of stardom and the, you know, the style that he had and the creativity, the flair, he was the exciting one. He was the one who made the Blackhawks cool. He woke up a, a dormant hockey town. So you have all that. You have all the accolades. You have the championships. But you also have to – you can't just pretend the other stuff didn't happen. I mean, you can write off the cab driver and the Madison partying in the limo in Vancouver as, you know, youthful you know, indiscretions. But it became more serious after that. There was the, a, a credible rape allegation. It was dismissed, absolutely forcefully dismissed by Buffalo. But that happened – uh, that whole you know episode happened, and then you have the Kyle Beach stuff, and everybody who was on that 2010 team is touched by that, you know, is, is affected by that. Their legacy, you know, it, it, it's probably not fair to blame a 22 year old player for what happened in 2010, but everybody affiliated with that team, based on all of the reporting we've done, you know, knew about it to some extent at some point, and the fact that it took that long for anyone to speak up about it, you know, you can't pretend that didn't happen just because he scored on spinorama goals. Right. So it's hard to, to kind of thread that needle and walk that line and all the other cliches because he was a very important and very exciting and very fun figure in Chicago history. But there were also these other things, and it's not it's disingenuous to pretend that stuff never happened just because you want to write some glowing column about you know a beloved player. You have to incorporate the whole picture. Yeah, very well said. And then, of course, the picture closes, the chapter closes, the career closes, at least for now. With his trade to the New York Rangers, which was, it was strange to watch it play out like this. Because when the Tarasenko deal happened, you got the response from Kane where he looked very dejected. And as if that his one chance to go to the Rangers was gone. And that almost set off this secondary conversation where it felt like 
the return, at least from the Blackhawks' perspective, the return for Kane became secondary. The sort of primary goal was to do right by him. And I know that you and Scott both wrote about this yesterday, how this trade went down and why the Blackhawks got so little in return. Can you explain for our listeners the dynamic there? Well, I mean, once Kane made it so clear that he, it's very unusual for a player to be that open about wanting to be traded into a certain team. Kane's just always been kind of open that way. Once he said that, you know, you knew that Kyle Davidson lost almost any leverage he had because Kane wanted to go to the Rangers. And if the Rangers could make the math work, he was going to go to the Rangers and there was nothing they can do about it. So, you know, that, that really kind of killed any leverage that they had. <clears throat> and, you know, the Rangers knew it. Chris Drury knew it. So uh, the Blackhawks were mad about, um, you know, the fact that Kane kind of forced their hand and put them in the situation. And Patrick Kane was mad that they were forcing him out of the team, that they were, uh, you know, that they basically, they traded away his best friends and line mates and Alex Debrinkit and Dylan Strome. They put him on lines with lesser players. His numbers suffered. The losing, he doesn't like the tanking idea at his age. I, I think there was some animosity on both sides, but publicly both sides wanted to be above board about this. The, the Blackhawks were adamant that they were going to do right by Patrick Kane. They were never going to make it end badly for him. They were never going to hold him against his wishes. And Kane said repeatedly, he's like, I want to maximize my values for the Blackhawks. I want the Blackhawks to benefit from this. But behind the scenes, there was, there was certainly a little more friction than there was on the surface because both sides you know, didn't get what they want. Kane wanted to be moved a month earlier and didn't think he was going to get moved at all. And the Blackhawks wanted a first-round pick, and they're probably not going to get one. So it, 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 it's been a tough situation all around. Kyle Davidson did well, all things considered. It's a conditional second-round pick, and if the Rangers somehow make it through that meat grinder in the East and get to the conference final, that means they have to beat, what, the, the Devils and then the Bruins? Probably, no, not the Bruins. Uh, Hurricanes? I, don't even, I can't even keep yeah, track of Yeah, Devils, Carolina, maybe Boston, Devils, Tampa Bay, or Toronto. Yeah. They get past the Devils. Um, it, it's, it, then it's a first-round pick, but then it's not until 24 or 25. So Davidson did better than I think a lot of us expected. We were braced for, like, third-round picks here. <laughs> But they wanted a first-round pick and a top prospect, and they really didn't get either. From the Rangers' perspective, how good is Kane still? Uh, he's really good. Like He's having a bad year, but he was on a terrible team with inferior line mates, and he was clearly you know, not, not really giving it 100% this year. He was, he was not excited about this season the way that, you know, when you're set up to fail, when you're a guy who's done nothing but win in his career, and then your team says, we're trying to lose, basically. Uh, he didn't seem to have it. But at the end there, I think he started taking it personally. People were talking about his hip, um, which has been a nagging issue, but not like the debilitating thing in any way. That was kind of overblown. Uh, he went out and said, screw you guys, and he scored, four, what, seven goals and three assists in his last four games as a Blackhawk. He wanted to show the world that I can still do this. And he put him back on the line with Artemi Panarin, who's like his hockey soulmate, the only player he's ever played with who could think the game the way he thought the game. Uh, it's going to be, he's going to score a lot of points. He's going to, he's going to set up a lot of goals. He's going to score a lot of goals. He's going to be great on the power play. Patrick Kane's going to be just fine. His game is not predicated on speed or strength. It's all about his vision, his hands, his thought process, and his ability to find open ice. And he'll be able to do that well into his late thirties. He's going to have a whole renaissance in New York. So the Chicago Blackhawks right now, they made three first round draft picks last year. They've got six first-round draft picks over the next three years. They've got seven second-round draft picks over the next three years. Do you expect them to be just a draft-and-develop team, or do you think they're going to use some of these draft picks as currency to speed up any rebuild? Well, it depends, right? I mean, if they get Connor Bedard, that changes the calculus here, right? So uh, if they get Connor Bedard, they're going to be more attractive to free agents. They have all the money in the world to spend with Kane, Taves, and most of Keith's recapture penalty coming off the books. So maybe in a year or two, they can be more aggressive. 
Um, if not, then if they don't get Bedard, maybe it takes a little bit longer. But Kyle Davidson said himself that, you know, two first-round picks in 2025, those could become tradable assets if the, if the, if the situation changes. If the Blackhawks are like, look at the Devils. The Devils are kind of a year ahead of schedule. If the Blackhawks find their own Jack Hughes and they get a year ahead of schedule and all their all these picks pan out and Kevin Korchinski is their number one defenseman and, um, you know, uh, Frank Nazar is you know, their number one or number two center, then maybe that changes. And maybe in 2025 at the trade deadline, if they're on the bubble there, they send one of those first-round picks out to get a, a big weapon that can put them into the playoffs. Um, that's the way they're looking at it. They're, they are planning to be a draft and develop team, but they are prepared to use those picks down the road because when you have, what, 10 first-round picks or whatever it is in four or five years, you know, that's, that's an arsenal at your disposal that you can use to either keep adding to your stockpile and play the long game or go out and uh, improve your team. Hey, Laz, I know you've been focused on the Chicago Blackhawks and the Patrick Kane story in the last few days. You've been working pretty hard on that. But uh, I just wanted to ask you, any thoughts on Jonathan Quick being traded by the Kings? Because the Blackhawks and the Kings had such a great rivalry. And I think we've discussed this before, that 2014 series that the Kings actually won and went on to win the Stanley Cup, the conference final. I think that was the best series of the salary cap era and yep. just yep. you know the the fact that Patrick Kane is traded Jonathan Quick is traded um the era was ended already like <laughs> it is it's not like the end of an era cuz i think the the era for both teams had ended but uh any thoughts on Jonathan Quick going to Columbus Yeah we're get, we're getting old aren't we i mean we yeah. were we were we were young guys and we were covering those playoff series i agree with that that 2014 western conference final is the best hockey i've ever seen two absolute titans at the top of their game with the kings and the hawks and Quick versus Crawford and Caves versus Kopitar and, uh, you know, Keith versus Dowdy. I mean, it was just incredible hockey. And, you know, I woke up and I saw that news and I was getting the kids to school and I, I haven't even read a story yet. I don't even know the, the backstory on the quick trade. I'm like, wait, I didn't even know he was available. And they went and they got Corpus Allo and a first, like, it, like I, I need to like do my research on that to know, even know the thought process behind that trade. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, there was the, when, when the Blackhawks sat Kane, uh, for trade reasons a couple of games ago, it was the first time since 2007 that the Blackhawks iced a team that didn't have at least one of Keith Seabrook, Kane, or Taves. 2007, we're talking almost you know, 15 and a half years ago. That's how long an era that these guys held sway as kind of like you know, captains of industry in hockey. And it's, it, it's all over. It's, it's, you know, we don't know if Jonathan Taves is ever going to play again. Patrick Kane's in New York. Jonathan Quick is in Columbus. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> You know, uh, the inexorable march of time. We're all just uh, we're all just swimming along here, and, and uh, the world's changing around us. I mean, hockey's as good as it's ever been, but I do miss those times. I miss those playoff series. I miss the you know some of the personalities, and the, it was it was a really fun time to cover hockey, no doubt. Hey, you mentioned him, so before we let you go here, last Jonathan Taves, what does the future have in store for him? Nobody knows. I mean, he's he's not like this. Isn't like it was two and a half years ago where he had, where he could you know some days could barely get out of bed. I mean. He, He's struggling, but he's able to work out. He just doesn't feel right. He hasn't felt right for most of the season. Um, and it, it's really up to him. I mean, I have to think, you know, the Hawks are hoping that he can come back at some point this season. And I have to think if he's at like 62%, he's going to play at least one more game as a Blackhawk at the United Center just in case. Um, I mean, he might retire this season. I mean, I, I just talked to him a few weeks ago in Calgary, and he told me he still has a few years left, that he really believes he's got a few years left in him. So I don't think he knows where he stands. I think – He's wondering, just like the rest of us, when he's going to feel right again. He, you know, all last season he did. He he talked about how his energy level just wasn't there, and this year it seemed like he was getting back. But uh, apparently, he's still been battling with this all year. Long COVID. Uh, There's so much we don't know about it, and uh, even peak 
performance athletes like Jonathan Taves uh, can be taken down by it. So it's it's. Uh, I hope we get to see him again in a Blackhawks uniform. He certainly deserves it. I lied. I got one more real quick. Uh, <laughs> Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu, they were signed, essentially, be traded at the deadline. Is it anticipated that those guys will be gone by Friday? Uh, they can certainly be had. If you want to throw a first or second round pick at Kyle Davidson, he'll give you either one of them. But right. I, I think both of them are, they like it in Chicago. Chicago likes them. Max Domi feels like he's really found a home here. I think he's hoping he doesn't get traded. And even if they do, I think both of them are going to resign in the summer. I'm almost certain that Domi will. So um, they, 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 they want assets, so they'll trade them. But uh, I don't think they're long-term pieces for anybody other than Chicago. Laz, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Once again, great job yesterday. It was awesome reading. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks. That's Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago, senior staff writer here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm not blowing smoke either. Like I, If you go to the all that they have to offer right now, you cannot get more comprehensive coverage. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. They had uh, an article up on the legacy, the Kane Taves legacy, and uh, how once upon a time Kane and Taves were synonymous with championships and parades yeah and i we were there covering it that's they were the toast of one of the most important sports cities in north america in the world really Mm -hmm. they were the they were the class of it like when laz says that kane was the most impactful athlete in chicago since michael jordan he's not spinning that patrick kane not only led the team, I know he wasn't the captain, but he scored the iconic moments too, like the Jordan iconic hanging in the air to beat the Jazz. Mm-hmm. That's Patrick Kane scoring a overtime Stanley Cup winning and goal. And consider the Cubs won the World Series right. in that span. Then the era ending with a trade, an inside look into how the trade went down. And then, so again, like I know people want to always throw stones at the media, and I get it. Like I'm not trying to like make, media like the victims here i don't like victimhood period right i feel like it's weak and a lot of people you rely on it um some people consider it their identity but i'm just saying like i understand that a lot of people think that uh everything that media does is with a slant or with a purpose or some sort of nefarious reason behind Mm -hmm. it when a lot of people are just here taking snapshots and just out here (laughs) trying to relay what's going on through their lens or prism or whatever. Well, the Kane legacy in, in Chicago and bringing up some of the negative stuff, um, it's a bit like when someone dies and someone's led a complicated life and someone maybe hasn't led the most honorable life, but that person still has friends and that person still has admirers and that person still did some good things in life yeah. because life is complicated. Mm-hmm. Do you bring up everything or do you just bring up the good stuff? I believe in bringing up everything, but some people don't. And that's going to be probably a debate that'll go on for the end of time, right? Like people just have a different idea on how to present that. But the rules of journalism, I would say, and what you'd be taught in journalism school, you went there. I did. Is you give the entire picture. And when Patrick Kane leaves Chicago and you're writing his quote-unquote legacy piece on the way out, I think you should mention everything. Mm -hmm. Um, The Vancouver Canucks returning to the Canucks are still playing hockey games, even though the trade deadline is the big story of the week. They've got a game against the Minnesota Wild on Thursday at Rogers Arena. Then the trade deadline is on Friday. And then Saturday they, they host the Toronto Maple Leafs 
which I think will be interesting because I assume Luke Shen will be playing for the Leafs then. Uh, very complicated time in Luke Shen's life. His wife is due March 3rd, which is Friday. But the Leafs have a game uh, tonight in Edmonton, Thursday in Calgary. Then again, they play Saturday in Vancouver. So I guess it could have been worse in terms of places that Luke Shen could have been traded because at least he was traded to the Leafs and at least the Leafs are in the vicinity of Vancouver. But I'll be curious when he actually debuts for the Leafs. Well, his he did mention in his most recent and really last scrum as a Vancouver Canuck meeting with the media, he intimated that his agent might have been telling potential suitors that he's not going to join the team until everything's sort of settled, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, that's what he said? He was asked the question if that was the scenario, and he didn't really respond in the affirmative. He's like, that's something that my agent might be taking care of, mm-hmm. right? And it was kind of understood that, yeah, I think – I look, I it's very difficult to try and frame the relationship between player and club when you know everything that goes on. You know that – the organization has a priority, number one, to make the business side of things the most important. As soon as you start letting emotions get in the way, it can become very complicated. At the same time, you have to do right by people because your organization's reputation is at stake. The other part in all of this is that um, we can try and spell it out, but a lot of the agents work behind the scenes, so it's difficult to get it out in the open. But you would probably be amazed at the amount of sway and clout that an agent can have over these proceedings. And I'm not just talking about the trade deadline. It can happen in free agency. It can happen at the draft. Agents are power brokers in the NHL. And that's why sometimes they're granted permission to go seek trades for their clients. Mm -hmm. They can make a lot of things happen. That's why sometimes it seems like uh, one agent's clients will all end up in the same team. Or why one (laughs) signing is preceded by another signing. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the game. It's a very complex ecosystem out there. So in just in relation to Shen, like your agent can make things happen for you. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but they can make things happen for you. Sure. Conversely, they can also make things not happen for you, meaning they can block particular moves, right? So with regards to Shen, I hope, I really hope that at the end of the day, um, the organization tried to do right by him by sending him back and saying, you know what? There's no point, like, at a certain point, there's no point in you being on the road with the team. Just go back to Vancouver, be with your family, and we'll try and work out this deal. Because at the end of the day, that was their priority. You got to get something in return for an expiring contract. I think Luke Shen going to Toronto is a terrific story. I, I really I, I hope think, it turns out well for him. I really I, well, I, well, I don't, I'm, I'm a mixed feelings because I don't really want the Leafs to have success. This is how much I like this, Luke Shen. I'm willing is, to almost compartmentalize that. I, th- I actually think I, I think the Leafs are gonna. I think the Leafs are gonna win around this year. I honestly do. <laughs> yeah, I think they are. I, I, I think it's gonna be close. And and clip and, it. Well, that's fine. I, yeah. I I picked I picked the Habs to beat the Leafs in the bubble. I was one of the few that that actually picked that and didn't look very good for for a while, but. I just think they played so well um, against Tampa Bay in the first round last year. And this is just, listen, this is not, people don't be like, you're a Leafs fan. No, 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 no. My heart wants pain for yes, the Leafs. Yes, Jason like, Bruff, noted Leafs fan. Believe me, but I, I just think, you know, like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, I think they're due. And they're going to get a tough test against Tampa Bay. And I will throw out the caveat, like, if the Leafs don't get 
average goaltending out Just of those guys, they're they're screwed, right? I mean, uh, but um, you know, I, I eventually you, you you know you break through. Now the Leafs might break through and then get broken by the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just re- I'm just really looking forward to the playoffs at this point. But back to Luke Shen going to the Leafs, y- you have to remember the hype that this guy went into Toronto when he was originally drafted. He wasn't just some first round draft pick. This was the guy that they said, and Brian Burke specifically said, this is the future captain of the Leafs that I just drafted. Mm-hmm. And then the game kind of changed on him, similar to how it changed on Erica Branson. These guys were both big, tough, um, you know, great character, quality guys. And then the league got really fast. And they were like, I'm still big and tough, and I'm still a great team guy, but I'm having trouble going back to retrieve the puck and breaking it out because I'm not that fast, right? And it just got hard for Luke Shen. And he was nearly out of the league a few years ago. And he did some things. Uh, he made some changes to his game while maintaining that physicality and maintaining the fact that he was a good teammate and he was dedicated to his teammates and he would sacrifice for his teammates, but he was barely holding on to an NHL spot. And then he went to Tampa Bay and he won a few Stanley Cups, not as a huge part of the those Tampa Bay teams, but as a part. Then he came to Vancouver, and I think that's when he he really thrived. Because in Vancouver, they desperately needed someone like Luke Shen. Now, he wasn't enough to turn the Canucks into a winning team, but he was enough to get a bunch of teams interested in adding him to the mix. So I hope Luke Shen uh, has success with the Toronto Maple Leafs because he does seem like a quality guy. And I think you could admire how he's stuck with it. You can admire his attitude and sticking with it. And there was a time a few years ago that he was in the AHL, and I'm sure he considered hanging him up. In fact, I know he did because he said so, but he stuck with it. And now he's going to get a tremendous opportunity with the, with the team that originally drafted him. Uh, in light of everything that Bruff just said, I have to point out that Craig and Campbell River has a new nickname for Jason Bruff. It's Jason Dangle. <laughs> Oh, God. Jace Dangle. (laughs) Jace Dangle. Okay, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Murph, followed by What We Learn's your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play Jason Bruff's new favorite team. Jace Dangle. The Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday. We're giving away a pair of tickets. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet, 650. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovic.